Hey listeners, welcome to Soundwaves, our Silver Edition Chapter 25. Can't believe we've made it this far. Thanks for uh, sticking with us. Um, cracker episode coming up. We've got um, DJ Omen making a special appearance, which I'm sure he will enlighten us on the world of techno and the pharmaceutical scene that surrounds it. Um, also, we'll be discussing the thruster and a couple of gadgets all developed around the early 80s that are still sending shockwaves through the world of surf and music. So, yeah, strap yourselves in. It's going to be a good one. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Tales from the Shack or Facebook at Tales from the Shack. And send us an email, uh, shacktales at gmail.com. Ew. G'day listeners. You're tuned to Soundwaves, a podcast that explores the nexus between surfing and music and the nefarious spaces in between. Between the wave and the rave, between the heaving shack and the martial stack, between neoprene and spandex, the mosh pit and the death pit, fiberglass and vinyl, the boogie and the board, between Brian Eno and George Greeno. So wax up your stick, crank up the stereo, and paddle out into the secret sonic surf spot that is sound waves. Tales from the shack. Shack, 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 shack. Check this out. just making me feel physically sick. What is that gloomy racket? That's the Human League. That is electro-nonsense. They're electro-pioneers. They invented music. Invented music? Yeah. What happened before then, then? It was just tuning up before then. G'day, g'day, Dazza. The, the, the AI is uh, listening. Mm-hmm. As always. You're, yep. uh, you're, your waves are being filmed, your conversation's being <laughs> recorded. Everything, mate. Your uh, uh, your movements are being scanned and relayed. Your, your every want has been quantified and uh, demographicized and sent to you in advertising um, messages wherever you look. Basically, <clears throat> no, they're they're all being sent now to Jeff Bezos's penis ship. Maybe, uh, maybe. Bezos and uh, Branson and whoever else is next. Musk will be up there, won't he? Um, maybe they'll be uh, pushing the envelope for surf design and electronic music. Yeah. Who knows? And maybe they're, I'm sure they're listening to five hours of relaxing psychedelic space rock. ripping out on space rock for the last week <laughs> kind of been just floating 
And speaking of which, um, we just talked very briefly about time being completely, uh, seems to have been warped, warped in every way um, in the, uh, just as you get older anyway, but in the, certainly in the COVID, um, uh, the COVID reality. Um, I was reading something today, yesterday or something. Amy Winehouse died 10 years ago. And um, I couldn't work out if that, it's 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 just like the whole COVID thing. Is that a lot? What do I feel like that was a long time ago? Do I feel like that was yeah, yeah. not long ago? So apart from psych, five hours of psychedelic um, space rock, uh, what else has been floating your boat? Floating well, uh kind of a lot of things actually. But um, I got given. Well, it's funny. Every time we visit our in-laws, um, I think they're just they're just trying to offload old stuff that they're kind of trying to get rid of i suppose i don't know but yeah. um and when the kids drop in the grandkids you know our kids they like to just give them a few few little trinkets here and there and they actually Absolutely. gave us an old walkman which i you know yeah I saw, enough, a, I saw a photo of it it looks very much like a walkman my god I, i'm like so i grabbed it i'm, I'm having that and um <laughs> dad, gets, it up. Dad, dad gets first dibs dad gets the walkman and um i tell you what you hear that? That sound with the tape. Hey, that's, that is a great tape sound. Rattle. Um, I tell you what, yeah, I've only got about ten tapes still on me, and most of them are from my uh, old radio show. <laughs> which is quite. I actually listened to it yesterday. I had a radio show at Northern Beaches Public Radio. Uh, only lasted ah. about ten weeks. And, and, and did you did you tape it, or did you get get your mum to tape it for you? <laughs> No, I taped it. I went into the studio because I, I couldn't do the live slot because it was like, I think I was on like 1am on a Saturday morning or something stupid. So I taped, pre-taped it in the studio. But the show was called um, Transmissions from Venus. And uh, I, yeah, so I, um, it was just, oh, it was so embarrassing to listen to, but I hope I won't be as embarrassed by this in 20 years time as i am by, <laughs> by uh, transmissions from venus great theme song for it though um it's venus huh? venus why not we bounced signals off the moon's surface there's no reason that venus shouldn't radiate impulses i don't mean the static can't you hear it the other thing what other thing listen to it paul listen to the voice <laughs> funny anyway so i've been listening to that also uh uncle tupelo which uh roscoe p coltrane and k-dog uh will remember we're, we were in uh samoa on a surf trip and for six weeks the only tape we had in the tape deck was uh, uncle tupelo and that's one of the last surviving tapes i have and wow oof. uncle tupelo I, look, i've heard the i've heard the name of the band but i don't know anything well, about them basically i think they're sort of like well they're sort of mid-90s americana you'd call it probably more yeah, country yeah. tinged than anything. but one half of uncle tupelo went on to form wilco yes um, yes right so yeah i think i've been vindicated um the boys hated it um but you know it, it's aged well sounds great on the walkman worn out joe keep the flies away 
this far West side winds Keep it steady Bury the hatchets We find You reckon, I don't know This tape has been sitting unlistened to For 20 years I reckon Put it on, I reckon it sounds better Than freaking <coughs> And the Walkman itself is not You know, it's decent quality But it's not high end or anything I reckon it sounds better than my my phone, definitely. Mm, what do you think? Yeah, well, uh, I'm not, look, not... it's it's funny because um, I was going to mention on my floating of boats uh, that documentary that you speaking of documentaries. Well, not document. Oh, I guess it's a documentary. Um, yes, it is the uh, the Jim <laughs> Jarmusch documentary about Neil Young. Oh, the Year of the Horse. My year God. of the Horse. Um, which I <laughs> you sent me the link and it was available to to watch for a week and I watched a bit of it and then obviously got distracted and then went back to watch it and, and it was I'm no just... longer available. So. <laughs> I did exactly the same thing, but I, the, bit I, the bits I saw, oh, I saw, I watched about an hour of it. Right. So yeah, I, did, I didn't get that far, but um, I will, I will endeavor to, um, to find a copy of it elsewhere. Um, and, ah, and that there, I don't know whatever happened to it, but I don't know if, did you ever hear that uh, Neil Young got some sort of consortium together and he was trying to make... Yes, a better a, version of MP3 sort of thing. Exactly right, exactly mm -hmm. right. And his yeah. whole argument was that, you know, the, the, the MP3 and the iPhone and the iPod and whatever were essentially the dumbing down of, uh, of musical quality. And mm. it, which is quite interesting when you... I mean, obviously, you know, it's no secret that... Uh, that LPs are, uh, you know, there's um, a lot, there's a renaissance in LPs and lots of people say that's the best sound and whatever else. But then yeah. there's, there are, you know, there's, there's a strong argument to, to say that, yes, the cassette actually, um, it has, has, it has its merits. And of course the CD as well. So um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. For sure. Well, I mean, I tell you, I tell you what your um, your experience with the, having a legit radio show is certainly better than uh, I remember um, myself and uh, Scorchio sixty nine and uh, another mate. Um, we had our own radio show, but essentially, and I'd love to. Well, I wouldn't love to hear it, but it would be funny to hear it. But it was essentially just very short skits and us farting I, was gonna, um, I wasn't gonna say it but i was thinking it and, you know, oh, i mean a fart, a, a fart is funny at the best of times but if you can record one and then play it back jesus christ it's fucking funny and i did um i, I I did say to you that I would, uh, I would tell you my Jim Jarmusch story because the um... oh, go for, oh yeah, guys, <laughs> so... you didn't get you didn't see him get maced, did you? Somewhere that <laughs> no, seems no, to no. happen in a lot of your stories. No, no, no. <laughs> um, only 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 eighties uh, icon surfers. I, I can okay. tell that story. But um, no, uh, so obviously the 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 um, the creator of many films, including the. Uh, Year of the Horse, um, the Neil Young documentary. Uh, so I was in New York um, 
in May of one one year, not that long ago actually. And I got up really early and decided to wander around the streets. It was a beautiful, warm morning. Yeah. And anyway, I wandered round down past the Empire State and went to the UN and checked out the UN building and whatnot. And then came, swung back up and went down into Grand Central Station. And I mean, this was early. It was like, you know, like six o'clock in the morning. And Anyway, to to to, uh, to cut yeah. to cut a very uh, long story short, um, Jim Jarmusch swung through the Grand Central Station with um, a young uh, woman on each arm, kind of uh, dressed up dressed up to the nines, um, with all these you know his signature hair flowing everywhere, and they kind of just levitated through the. Um, through the train station and literally i walked straight past him at six o'clock in the morning in the middle of uh, empty new york city which was quite interesting wow. mm. don't know I, where I he imagine. was don't know where he was going don't know where he'd been that's amazing i, I mm. just imagine that whole thing took place in black and white <laughs> yeah it was a bit <laughs> like that actually yeah. maybe he, uh, maybe maybe he was uh you know maybe it was a, a scene in one of his films who knows but, um, Sounds like it. That's amazing. But of course, you know he's unmistakable. So um, it wasn't like it was a, a Jim Jarmusch uh, lookalike. <laughs> lookalike. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's um, so good. So that's um, that. So the the um, the very small amount of that documentary is floating my boat, <laughs> and I've got to find the I've got to find the rest of the boat so I can keep it afloat. Oh God! I mean, how good is Crazy Horse? I mean. Mm. The, the thing about it, they the, the band seem like they're kind of almost like tradesmen, like, yeah. if you know what I mean. They're yeah, not yeah. like a normal band. They just they get in, do their job, and but and and like they even admit that they're not the best musicians in the world. But when they get together, they they kind of create this sound that's, mm. that's their own. The older we get, the more we realize how special it is. The essence of what we do is we express as one. When Neil plays with other musicians, you don't get that raw emotional thing happening. It's when we get together as a band, then it's the year of the horse. Just unbelievable. You never know what's going to happen next. So um, can, can you um, illuminate the listener on uh, what's what, what's what's on the plate today? Sure, for sure. Well, the tentative title of the show, well, of the of the uh, topic of the day is Deus 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 mm-hmm. Deus, Deus yeah. ex drum machina. Uh, <laughs> so we're like talking it. about technology innovations, all coming to the fore in the uh, early 80s basically so mm-hmm. we've got um pretty much all around 1981 uh the yep. development of musical technology and the thruster well it's an interesting thing because uh-huh. it's not i would I, i'm not uh not wanting to correct you by any means but um i, no. I will add to that because what i would say is that the commercialization now of course if the thruster in many respects you could say development but 
there's there's uh, you know there's a lot of argument that development came a little bit earlier than that but i would say that sure. the successful kind of commercialization of these things um uh, happened in ah. a in a very short period of time actually it's which is which is interesting exactly what you said like you know from whenever 81 to 83 you had the thruster become kind of ubiquitous and then you had two products from the Roland Corporation of Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting how a lot of these Japanese companies chose um, non-Japanese names, but yeah, the Roland um, mm. company, which was the uh, the 303 and the 808. Exactly. Um, TR three hundred three is it? I believe it's. I think a it's a TB three hundred three. Right, and, and the, the TR eight hundred eight. It is the TB three hundred three, um, and the TR eight hundred eight, and of course there's a nine hundred nine in there somewhere as well. The TR nine hundred nine. Yeah, um, yeah. you could mm. almost throw into the the, the Walkman, which um, <laughs> properly, I think the Walkman was late seventies. So right. right, you've got to add that to the mix. I, I think. Absolutely. It's always good to start with a quote. Um, I got two quotes. Um, One is from Jean-Michel Jarre, classic protagonist of um, electronic tunes, um, predated the the era of the Roland, although, I mean, I'm sure he obviously used um, uh, a lot of their equipment. and he said, for me, electronic music is like cooking. It's a sensual, organic activity where you can mix ingredients. So, um, wow. Yeah. And I guess the idea of, uh, as, we, as we explore and develop um, on these two pieces of electronic kit, um, that kind of being able to mix things yourself was one of the the fundamental um, aspects of it. And I guess that kind of, I guess that ties into Big Simon's thruster um, because obviously he basically, uh, the more I've read about it, the more I realised that he made it for no one else other than himself, really, because... Yeah, that's right. Which is an interesting thing. I do have a counter quote. Um, Ravi Ravi Shankar um, says... Well said, I don't appreciate avant-garde electronic music. It makes me feel quite ill. <laughs> That's so good. Ravi's not, I'm sure that if we, if we dig around enough, there'll be a, a, a Ravi Shankar um, acid house mix. Um, That's just to piss him off even more. <laughs> yeah, with his sitar getting just totally sampled. Um, I, wonder, I wonder what he. I wonder what Ravi Shankar thinks of extremely boring folk rock, a la um, Nora Jones. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. But just just the kind of electronica you you get in a Starbucks. That kind of oh, background kind of beats. <laughs> Um, or, yeah, or a, lift, or, an, or a uh, Marriott hotel lift. Where do we start? What do we, what do, we do here? Well, um, okay, well, let, why don't we give a bit of context? So, um, okay. obviously, the, the thruster is a three finned surfboard, um, brought well, to the brought, brought to the fore. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, what that's what I was, how would you 
because it's not just the fins, is it, with a thruster, I reckon? I mean, obviously, it's a big part of it. But what would you say, how would you describe a thruster, if you know what I mean? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, because I made a list of, um, uh, I made a list of classic thrusters. Uh, this is a list, ah. just, a list just according to um, me. I do think there's more to it than just the fins. When I visualize a thruster, there's that plan shape that mm. I think goes with three fins. Yes. If you know what true. I mean. That's true. Uh, and the, I, I think that tail area where the fins are is kind of, sort of associated with that obviously you know i'm sure that we could find some example of someone sticking three fins on a board way back when but um according to the uh according to the the powers that be i.e uh, matt warshaw and uh an, an interesting article i read also by um, one of the george brothers um okay uh, uh, sam george i think it was um in 1972, a fine year, um, there was a uh, collaboration between Reno Abalera and Dick Brewer, and they oh, yeah. ca they called this thing the one plus two equals free. <laughs> oh. <laughs> which wow. is pretty. What year was that? Pretty, sorry, 1972. So um, yeah, so the one plus two equals three. That was the uh, the kind of title on their um, on the yeah. ad for 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 this uh, prototype, and obviously Dick Brewer, um, you know, legend of the of, of the game, and Reno, kind of maverick, uh, um, board shaper and and writer from um, from the seventies, uh, and they had a little um, blurb, and it said. Um, the tri-fin has single-fin drive and twin-fin torque. Um, right. Yeah, which is uh, obviously that's that makes eminent sense. Um, uh, asserted this surprisingly prescient Abalera. It's, it is a compromise of each with eliminations of hang-ups. So essentially taking the shit bits out of the twin and the uh, single and... Uh, combining them wow. um now i don't know what happened to the one two three but they obviously um made a few of them and actually there was some stat that i read that uh one u.s surfing championships in the 60s uh, in the 70s like 75 or something four I, I can't remember the exact stats but f let's say four of the top six people were riding um three finned boards Wow, in, that's crazy. And, mm. and of course, in 1974, the um, Campbell brothers um, created their um, three-finned, well, three-finned, in inverted commas, uh, Bonza. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and, and, and another thing that I hadn't realised, mainly due to my complete lack of uh, understanding when it comes to board design, um, that... The bonds are also introduced concave in um, uh, on the bottom of the board. So um, the bonds, are, yeah, yeah, right. Which you uh, you obviously knew, but um, so yeah. But as we know, the the bonds has kind of keels, so they're not strictly fins, but 
they're 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 basically just shred shredding devices. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's like a, a well, that maybe that's a prototype for the fucking foil, um, for, the, for the Mulan or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, the um, that's interesting. I, I just think that so obviously the ideas were there. They were kind of rumbling mm. uh, along for the three fins because they they obviously felt something like like uh reno kind of said that compromise the the limitations of a single fin and the twin fin they kind of knew about mm. um and it just seemed it was that stroke of genius from simon anderson i think to just go well i'm not just going to have a single fin with two little side fins i'm going to make them all the fins all equal size and it just yep. seems so obvious now um but it it was that um that lateral thinking that just um, changed everything, I think. Exactly, exactly. Um, Hi, I'm here with Simon Anderson, who's currently ranked sixth in the international professional surfing rankings around the world. Simon, you are renowned for your surfing small boards and big waves, especially you won the Bells contest in 10 to 15 foot surf on this very board here, which is 6'6", and you're known for your starting the tri-fin thruster concept. You want to tell us about that a little bit? Well, yeah, I, uh, I was dissatisfied with the, the twin fins. I'm a big fella and... Uh, they slide a bit much for me, so I made the, the thruster here, which has got the extra fin on the back, and it, it just makes the board a, a bit easier to control, but it's still looser than a single fin. So can you turn harder without spinning out, in other words? Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's the general idea, and it seems to be working pretty good. Does it seem to accelerate more out of the turns than any other kind of fin setup? Yeah, it does. Uh, that's why I call it a thruster. And uh, you get the speed through the twin fins as in, in a normal twin fin, and the, the single fin at the back holds all that speed in throughout the turn. Well, in that 10 to 15 foot surf at Bell's Contest, which you won down in Australia, you're riding probably the shortest board in the contest. Yeah, well, that's right. I, I got stuck out a little bit there. I wasn't expecting big waves, and they came. But fortunately, the thrusters seemed to go really well in the, in the big surf. So I brought them here to Hawaii this year. You know, it is amazing how one thing, i.e. Simon dominating um, at three kind of iconic uh, surf competitions, just kind of instantly changes everyone's... Um, changes everyone's mind um, yeah there, and there was a in one of the articles i think it was the sam george one it, it's he said it, it, it was akin to imagine if philippe toledo um turned up to a surf contest you know yeah this year and uh, on a craft that no one had seen before and just blew everyone out of the water i mean we would all be kind of well, I mean, it would be it would be kind Scratching of it would be a paradigm shift, right? Um, yeah. So, um, and there's that classic photo of Simon. Um, he's obviously come in from the surf and he's showing someone on the beach. Um, yeah. Here's here's look at this, <laughs> and it looks like the classic. Well, it it could be a a, a thruster that um, you know either of us have in our quiver uh, currently today. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, it always makes me wonder too, like, so if Simon Anderson didn't develop the thruster when he did, um, the fact that that design is still pretty much unchanged, uh, apart from obviously that's been tweaked. Um, I wonder if the natural evolution would have led us to exactly the same thing. People, well, people basically, there is a term for it, but um, people essentially inventing the same thing on different sides yeah. of the world um, yeah yeah you've got um you know uh, examples of um 
birds or whatever um, evolving the same kind of capabilities in completely in complete isolation in different parts of the world. So uh, exactly. I, I, th I think what you just said is absolutely spot on for sure that would have happened with with music because I, I always think of the same thing with music if, if we ran our computer simulation again of of the universe and we got to this point what music would would have evolved i think it would be pretty different um that you know there'd be different beatles there'd be the standout bands but they'd be obviously different for sure there'd be hopefully no hootie and the blowfish but um or Shania Twain, especially <laughs> but, not Shania Twain live. But there'd be other ones. But I think the surfboard, I think because it, you've got laws of physics and, and just human, just the way human physiology is, like a surfboard is going to go well uh, to a point if it's different, but it will, would it eventually evolve to a thruster again if we ran the experiment again? I think it, it probably would. Uh, yeah, so obviously Simon won all those all those competitions, and then um, in the same year that Simon won Bell's the Coke and Pipe, Mark Richards, um, Mark Richards, in a rare moment of pettiness, described the trifin as good for surfers who can't ride twin fins properly. That's so good. Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't expect MR to be such a bitch, but, um, you know. But uh, the thing of the thrust I find interesting, um, I remember talking to um, Soupy, the, the old uh, oh, yeah. local at the reef Hell, who moved, in, moved down south. Um, mm -hmm. Old Soupy was... So his theory on the thruster is that it's kind of that most turns you do when you're surfing a kind of three-stage you uh you've got your bottom turn then you've got your sort of a setting up the the top turn and then turning back down so there's three points of pivot he was I, I can't really understand it totally but you're pivoting around three points and they the three fins kind of all come into play at separate times mm -hmm. um and that's where the thruster just comes into its own because you've got those three points of of almost um, the anchor points to those stages of your turns. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, and I just think they look good. Like, I think that the, there's, you know, there's that rule of three. I don't know if it's, it, there's a, yes. there's a yep. rule of three in, in comedy. Like, um, you know, it's always an Englishman, an Irishman and a someone else walking to a yeah. bar. It's <laughs> yeah. never just two or one people. There's a rule of sort of three in, in art where if you're drawing or painting, say, a vase of flowers, you always have an uneven number in, yep. in the vase because yep. it looks weird. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there might be something going on there too. I think three is just a satisfying kind of look. Well, it isn't isn't you know the I mean? triangle? The triangle is the kind of most powerful shape in in the oh, universe, in you know, in physics kind of thing. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and, and yeah. Tri triangles give us all sorts of um, uh, of power mm -hmm. and beauty. Yep, and um, yeah, you, you had the hippies back in the day meditating in these little triangular sort of things exactly and, well and and the pyramids you know they, there's lots of triangles going on there as well so um 
in, in, in many respects, it's it's funny that it took so fucking long to get the thrust. Of- it's I know it's what the fuck were we doing? Um, <laughs> and, and also yeah, uh, in music like the three three chords, you know, Ooh, yeah. th- there's that yeah. classic saying with um, I think it's country music, but probably applies to uh, a lot of other music. Uh, country music is three chords and the truth. so obviously so number right. one has to be the original simon thruster yeah um you know uh, um and I mean, everything about the board is, is still pretty cool, right? I mean, yeah. it, they look, I, I know he's been making some kind of, um, uh, what, what's, what would be the word? Um, replicas, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah, sort of remakes. I think whoever, must was it Gabby who won, um, Gabrielle and Caroline Marks, I think won the, uh, that Narrabeen comp this year. I think they both got the kind of um, a brand new um, replica thruster, which yeah looked pretty cool with the with the original energy uh, three fin. Uh, yeah, that, that circular sticker is pretty pretty bloody cool, right? Pretty sick, hey. So two two and three or three and two, whatever order you want to put it in. Um, I'm putting obviously obviously Curran's, I guess Black Beauty would that would that that be yep. the one. Um, sure. and, and the Oki Rusty. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, they're kind of similar. It's similar, um, uh, similar era, right? Uh, yeah. Obviously, that, and obviously they were the grand, the great rivals. Um, and those two boards, um, different. Um, in, um, interesting because obviously you had kind of Merrick against Rusty as well, which is a uh, pretty, yeah. Pretty, pretty heavy heavyweight battle um <laughs> and i was i didn't really think about it actually but it was pretty mad how uh you had you know the the um the youngest young star of australian riding a, an american board which um you know these days yeah i remember it distinctly like i went and picked it up off rusty and it was unbelievable it was so much more advanced than what I was riding and my very first wave on this board I just knew like the OP was coming up and I'm like oh I'm good to go like far out it went that good like it was just magic it was just excellent you know it just went I rode it in like one foot to eight foot ten foot you know it was just it went in everything and it flew down the line of J-Bay this was the board that yeah I got I beat him in like the semi-final at the OP Pro and and that's when the riots were on and that kind of got sketchy then. I won that OP Pro on, on this exact board, like back to back. Um, I've got the Tom Carroll Rawson gun. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's other, other iconic guns, but um, I actually went online and saw a, uh, a video of, there was one for sale. This is like about... Oh, wow. Yeah, 10 years ago or something. 
it wasn't the one that wasn't the snap heard around the world, but it was um, one that he had won uh, Sunset on, I think. And, you know, wow. it was like a, I don't know, it was like an 8.6 or something, but it's crazy how um, penny the tail is yeah, on right. those boards. And the, the three the three fins are basically, you know, hanging on the edge of this <laughs> extreme pin tail. Wow. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's... Uh, that board's a um, an iconic uh, iconic board. If if I ever did see one, then I kind of had the Slater uh, glass. What do they call it? The glass slipper. Is that is that what what it was called? Oh, I can't remember. And then there was a phase where Andy Irons and Bruce Irons had. Um, I, I can't work out whether they were. Because uh, I know they both ended up surfing for JS, um, but I think before then they might have both been surfing for I don't know if it's Arakawa or something. Uh, like okay, that. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but those boards kind of, I get the feeling that they were starting to bridge the gap between your Slater um, uh, super thin boards and and then the the more you you. Utilitarian, yeah, that's interesting. Utilitarian yeah. boards that we all probably ride these days, right? Or whatever. But then I then I actually thought, well, um, we, we've talked about it before, but you, you've got to think that the fucking goddamn hypto crypto has got to be in there, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it, well, is the, it, it is a thruster, isn't it? Or is yeah, it? yeah. Well, I, I think there's that, yeah, that next stage of of combining i suppose that fish um feel with with the thruster so a hybrid style thruster with with volume with like a, a forward kind of midpoint i suppose kind of feel to it mm -hmm. um yeah again i think i've talked to a Talk to someone else what they're talking about shaping wise, <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, I, there's definitely a, a, an era there, or, or a, a, probably a room for to still call it a thruster, right? Those user friendly um, hybrids, I suppose. And then I thought one of the more recent ones would be that John John board. What's it called? Is it the Ghost or something? Oh, okay, um, yeah. That, that again, we need a we need a shaper on here but there's some different down rail is that what it is is it is it uh, okay like um but anyway it, it it basically allows john john to do those ridiculous calves yeah. down face calves that he just can just hold on to for forever you know yeah yeah this is a 6-0 ghost they just work really good in powerful waves they carry their speed really well, hold a rail really well. Uh, the foam has moved pretty far forward, a lot of foam up in the front of the board, so it can paddle really well and hold in in bigger waves. Having that pulled in tail I think really allows you to get on edge and turn it at the same time as like getting those flat sections and paddling into a bigger wave. And Paisel's been trying to get me to do it for a while. I've been liking it more and more and kind of leaning away from my older style boards. I say the TR-808 is coming. Right and early in the morning. I say the TR-808 is coming. But you see, that's his daily living. Uh, uh, uh.
I'm D-Nice, the 808 is no mistake Now this is not the time, but the music that I make And wait, I'm telling you, why don't you just listen Just because I come from the Bronx, I'm not dissing or wishing Cause the beat sounds groovy I drink Amaretta on the rocks cause it cools the me off The 303 and the 808 yeah, well, interesting. Well, so do you want to um, touch on the on the eight oh eight first? Mm. Um, so I think I think we've got Oman standing by to talk about the three oh three later. Um, I didn't really start off. I suppose craft work early on when I was a kid. I didn't really have a huge electronic music background. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been really interesting to look back at the eight oh eight and how much it has influenced music it's um it's crazy uh and and how i I think this is a classic one if you think of um marvin gay and the song sexual healing yep like you you if you picture it in your head it sounds like you'd think it would be an organic style song with um it really does instrumentation the whole lot um but it's you, you you put it on and it the first note you hear in the song is the 808 just an iconic sound that that we don't even associate with being artificial anymore even though it, it's totally artificial um it's it's a it's a crazy it's, it's got a crazy kind of development too because it was brought out just before proper samples so they, they tried to produce this drum machine which is the 808 this essentially is just a drum machine well it's and actually it was, it's, it's actually sorry to interrupt it's called the yeah. uh, TR-808 Rhythm Composer. Introducing the world's most advanced rhythm machine, the Roland TR-808, a revolutionary computer-controlled rhythm machine offering more percussive variations and effects than virtually any other machine on the market. Rhythm pattern visualization, built-in memory, realistic sounds, synchronous performance, flowing, but it was just that freak of nature where they just hadn't developed proper sampling so they actually wanted to get realistic drum sounds but um they just couldn't get it but in the end they came out with something better because i mean what's the point of producing perfect drum sounds when you could just get a drummer in you know um it it actually flopped it it didn't sell it was it was quite expensive um but and and only made for for three years or whatever so yeah yeah uh and interestingly they actually used defective transistors in it to get the distinctive sound they actually had to sift (laughs) through the transistors and find these for some reason slightly defective ones to get more i don't know feel to the to the sound which is which is really interesting and it just coincided with with the sort of the rise of hip-hop and um and so these cheap 808s were just sitting in secondhand music stores and and that's kind of 
where you know a lot of a lot of the struggling musicians wouldn't have been able to afford the the initial price tag of these machines so they they, they snapped them up for you know next to nothing at secondhand um uh shops and and the rest is kind of history africa bambata i think was one of the first um mm -hmm. users there's actually i think the very first um credited um use usage of the 808 was uh the Yellow Magic Orchestra, the Japanese wow. band. Um, well, and that, that wouldn't your be... Your hero, Ri, what's his name? Ryuchi? Right. Ryuchi Sakamoto. Sakamoto, um, yeah. And anything, if you, listener, get out there and just buy, beg, borrow or steal anything by the Yellow Magic Orchestra, they are just, yeah, everything's gold. It's It's amazing. I found really interesting about 808. So I listened to this amazing podcast. It's called the show's called 20,000 Hertz, and it was basically a show about the 808. But they were wow. talking about, and it was a just a fortuitous um, feature that they put on the machine, which was the kick drum decay. So basically, you've got you know your big kick drum in a drum kit, which is the the, the big round one sits on the floor, yep. and you see a lot of times in in um, drum kits they'll, they'll shove blankets or pillows or something in that kick drum mm -hmm. just to dampen the sound and, and kind of make it fuller and deeper and so they tried to replicate that with the 808 with a decay um, adjustment or, or knob and what they found they could do is if they just stretch that decay out to, to the nth degree they'd get this hugely deep kind of boom sound and it was about the same time that, that, that uh, hip hop was getting huge. And what a lot of people were doing was souping up their cars with these huge bass speakers. Yep. And what, so what they found was that this became where you'd listen to hip hop was in the car. And um, there's this classic song um, called The Cars That Go Boom. DJ Jazzy Jeff, of all people, he did the same thing with his first album with um, the Fresh Prince. You're not supposed to have your bass drum driving that much. And it's kind of like, why not? Everybody's riding around in their car playing this music and it's vibrating their car and they enjoy that. There's no right and wrong in it. I really feel like the 808 kick drum was one of the first things that started shattering the rules of what you could, what you couldn't, or what you should or shouldn't do when it came to recording music. Mm -hmm. But because it was so 
are unconventional. They they finished the whole album and when it went to mastering, so I still don't really understand what happens when they master a, a record. They, but pay, they, pay, they pay someone with a more expensive uh, program. Coke addiction. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, a more expensive studio set up to, uh, to just run, run it through their machine to purify it. Yeah, I think so. And basically they thought they'd stuffed up um, and so they took all the all the um, the the kick drum decay out of it um, because they thought it was a mistake. And so apparently DJ Jazzy Jeff just hates listening to that stuff because they they ruined his um, his boom basically. <laughs> the boom, the funny. boom, the boom left the room. They deboomed him. And I remember fighting with the engineer because I wanted to push the envelope on how loud and how deep I wanted the 808 because I knew there were some hip-hop records that you would get in a car and you would play it and the entire car would vibrate. And I was like, I want that. My rhymes have been written not to be bitten, but as it seems, some suckers keep forgetting the rules about rapping. But that's all right, because in the next five minutes, I'm going to have them all uptight. Stronger than a dinosaur, better known than sin. I'm in the battles. And I got him to allow me to do it to the point that I loved it. And what I never realized was I never told the mastering engineer that I wanted that. And he thought it was a mistake. And he took all of the 808 out of the album. And I don't think I've ever said this in public. I can't listen to He's the DJ, I'm the Rapper now. That is the biggest record we've ever done. And I absolutely hate the way that it sounds. They sucked all of the bottom in from the 808 out in mastering. My rhymes have been written not to be bitten, but as it seems, some suckers keep forgetting the rules about rapping, but that's all right, because in the next five minutes, I'm going to have them all uptight. Um, <laughs> yeah. And obviously, you know, Psycho Killer. Um, Oof, I didn't, I never realized that that was... 808, or the live version, at least, um, yep. is, is all 808. And uh, there's a there's a Whitney Houston's "I Want to Dance with Somebody," believe it or not. Um, yep, my God. Pure 808, which is uh, I don't know if that's kind of um, uh, uplifting, or, bad thing. or uplifting or depressing, but um, yeah. Um, and I mean, there's a there's a, a couple more songs which. Um, if you really want to, in my in my uh, mind, if you really want to explore the the pureness of an of an eight oh eight, um, go for for my favourite um, uh, Aphex Twin, of course, and he has a song called Extal um, from nineteen ninety two, and I mean, in my mind, it's kind of perhaps the most sublime mysterious and and even prescient of uh of all of Aphex's output 
Um, it comes from his 1992 selected ambient works album. Right. Um, yeah, and he, I mean, Aphex never does anything um, by the book, but he modified his own 808. Ah, right. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, just listen to it. It's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Another one, um, which is interesting, which is from 2003, so much later, um, is Outcast, um, The Way You Move. And okay. uh, have a listen to that because there's some really interesting um, sounds on it. And um, that was actually the first, well, I don't know if it was the first, but one of the first um, songs strictly done on an 808 that was a number one in the states oh okay um, there you go and, and also it has a uh, as part of the chorus it says but i know you all wanted that 808 can you feel the bass bass Lip it in the bud, we never relaxing. Outcast is everlasting, not clashing, not at all. But see, my nigga went to do a little acting. Now that's for anyone asking. Give me one pass them. Drip, drip, drop, there it goes an orgasm. Now you coming out the side of your face, we tapping right into your memory bank. Thanks. So click at the ticket, let's see your seatbelt fasten. Trunk rattling, like two midgets in the back seat rattling. Speaker box vibrate the tag, make it sound like aluminum cans in a bag. But I know y'all wanted that 808. Can you feel that BASS bass? But I know y'all wanted that 808. Can you feel that BASS bass? There, there was an interesting quote that I read somewhere. Ah, that's right. It was John Frusciante, who was um, was or is a guitarist in the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and he was basically oh, yeah. saying, he was basically saying that all you know, um, obviously, electric guitars are electronic <laughs> music, right? <laughs> so he's, yeah. he's saying he was basically saying that who are about people complaining about. Um, you know, things like the 808 or the 303 or whatever is just rubbish because um, pretty much all of his music is electronic music anyway. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, and of, and of course, Roland, the company Roland, they started out making um, more simple devices. Uh, one of those devices being a um, uh, pedal for, for guitars. So, right. Um, yeah. 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 Well, should we uh, get DJ Omen on? Um, Absolutely. And I've got a perfect link between the 808 and the 303. And the is, of course, the band 808 State. Because um, not only did 808 State, uh, you know, take the use of an 808 to um, different levels, uh, especially with, um, in my mind, songs like In Your Face and Cubic, um, which I would suggest any listener to go out and listen to. But they also had, they also had a song called Pacific Three Hundred Three. There you go. So there we go. So that's a nice little intro to DJ Oman. Oh, 
Well, it's a, it's, it's a worry having, having this dude as our first guest. DJ O-Man, you there. Good morning. Oh, here he is. Snow, hey. Snow Bunny. Rain Bunny at the moment. So, so what are we talking about? Well, you're going you're gonna to illuminate us with your um, intricate knowledge of the impact of the Roland 303. Mm. And do you want me to just let rip? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, do have some que- I do have some questions uh, for you. Before <laughs> we start on the 303, we were talking about thrusters as well. And mm-hmm. um, I was just chatting to my brother-in-law, um, Ralph, and he, uh, I don't know how it came up, but he said he had a omen-shaped surfboard. Yeah, but it had uh, like yellow blob paint job on it. No, you remember it. Wow. I think it was about the third surfboard I'd shaped as a 14 or 15-year-old and somehow Ralph had strange faith that it would actually work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he... he, uh, he he said he see he said it went well. Um, well, I'll tell you what I'll tell you what though. There's a, there's another interesting link between surf and music because your brother-in-law taught me trumpet for um, for a while. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. And that, do you remember the uh, Omen surfboard you had, Stanley? Boy, you've got it back. I know that was discovered under your neighbor's house. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Thirty. Thirty years later, and it's still still intact. And I think Dane, I, that Dane tried to surf it, didn't have much luck. No, no it, it's a, <laughs> it's a very it's a well, it's a. I loved it when I got it, but I, I don't know how functional it ever was. But um, it 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 definitely had three fins. So give us a give us a one minute give us your one minute take on the the three o three. A one minute take on the three o three. So yeah. And we may cut you out after 20 seconds, but there we go. <laughs> go, go for it. <laughs> so not unlike us as teenagers tooling around in workshops trying to make surfboards, uh, there was a bunch of black kids hanging around in their basements in Chicago in the mid-80s who'd picked up this little, uh, ostensibly a, a baseline emulator box that uh, Roland had built so that uh, solo players could kind of press play and have a little bass line to sing along or play the guitar on top of, which strangely no one bought at the time for their target market. But um, all of these little boxes started appearing in op shops and secondhand stores after they discontinued making them in, I think, 84. And kids just started picking them up and playing with them. This here is called a Roland TB303 baseline. Me and Spanky in a group called Future, we picked this up at a secondhand shop for 40 bucks. And uh, I think at the time in Chicago, there was this kind of nascent house music scene um, that was primarily black, um, pretty gay, uh, pretty urban. And these kids kind of realized that if they started tweaking it in a way that 
it wasn't necessarily designed to do, it made some pretty crazy sounds. And this was basically designed to emulate a bass guitar. And um, it did a real crappy job of it. But I realized that, yo, I could make this, this bass sound do like some weird stuff. So I was like, I'm gonna just twist these knobs in a crazy way because I like warping that sound. And I was like, all right, let me start twisting the knobs. And then it was like, like jamming like this. Like, and, and we just, yeah, keep doing that. He said, Pierre, keep doing it. So I was like, okay, okay, I'm turning the knobs. And then we thought it sounded real crazy. And then I started turning it like this. And then it was like, we was like, oh, that's it right there, that's it. And so I think we can trace it back to DJ Pierre in 86. Uh, took, took a tape to Ron Hardy at the music box in Chicago and said, hey man, play this. And he play, played it four times throughout the night. That, that track was Acid Tracks. History was made. Instead of trying to program it, I just started turning knobs. I was like, oh. and he's like, well, what you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm turning these knobs. He said, keep doing that. I'm like, I'm turning the knobs. And we just sitting there for like 30, 40 minutes. I'm just turning knobs and like, yeah, I like that. I like that. You know, I don't know what happened, man, with, the, with that song, you know, it's something just like that, that machine, that TV 303, it triggers brain cells and stuff. And of course, that then led into the whole acid house uh, explosion in the UK a couple of years later in 88, which we can delve into should we have time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so uh, a little... Sorry to interrupt. Just just on that, when when the DJ you said he played it four times, is, is that is that right? Like the first time he played it, it, it kind of just didn't go down too well. But by the by the fourth time, people were just going nuts. Uh, so I think we probably need to put the disclaimer: this uh, show may contain foul language and drug references. <laughs> okay, <laughs> kitty's off to bed. That's um. That, so, that's pretty. That's pretty normal for for for, uh, for us. So I think um, there's no escaping the fact that dance music and drugs have a very very close connection. Um, mm. Ironically, less so in the US than the rest of the world, um, for various reasons. But um, I think with a track like Acid Tracks, it was 12 minutes long. If you Google it and watch it on YouTube or listen to it. It's um, a pretty intense thing, especially for 86. You think about the type of music that was coming out in 86 and someone drops yeah. this music from the future, literally. <laughs> in, every, in every way. And um, I think the first time you listen to it, you're kind of like, whoa, this is pretty weird. Can I dance to this? Um, but then at two o'clock in the morning after your drugs have really kicked ah, in, it's okay. probably a pretty incredible experience. <laughs>
would say that would have a lot to do with the fact that by the fourth go, everyone was really enjoying it. That's but actually, classic. actually, um, Dazza, by the fourth go, most people thought they were only requesting it for the second time. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> That's essentially where the house music sound came from, is people mm. like Frankie Knuckles were um, doing their own edits of old disco tracks and extending them out um, and getting these long, long mixes of, of tracks that put people into a trance on the dance floor. There is a little, um, a little uh, precursor to all this that I, in my investigation, I uh, found. Um, there was a guy called Charanjit Singh, um, who in 1982 made a song with a 303 in Mumbai, Mumbai of all places. Wow. Um, and the song is called Raga Bairav. Uh, I suggest you... I, definitely suggest you go and check it out online because it's actually the first uh, time that anyone had heard the class the classic squelching bass line most interesting thing about that period is we didn't have the internet uh, and it was either DJs being sent records or buying them at their local import store that kind of spread musical memes for lack of a better word around the world so the kids in Chicago that were playing with 303s and making these tracks they had no concept literally that um, kids in Manchester were um, finding copies of these records th through import stores and then right. play playing at them at their own clubs and, and putting their own take on them and then kind of making music in a similar vein that then mm. kind of took the whole uh, genre in different directions. Our window into that world was through DJs like Tim Ritchie and Andy Glitcher, who just passed away last week. Oh, really? Oh, gee. No way. Wow. Uh, Stephen Ferris trying to stay awake until 10 p.m. on a Saturday night with your finger on the pause <laughs> button. Uh, I think it was the Black Music Show and the 12-inch show and the, the Rhythm Method. Um, oh, the Rhythm Method, yeah. And that, that was our exposure to kind of these early... Uh, examples of house music and hip hop and all of that. Absolutely. That universe. Yeah. And do you think that that isolation helped with having distinct sounds in different regions? Yeah. Whereas now, now it's it's you can just go on YouTube and see how to manipulate a, a whatever or whatever. So everything gets. Oh, completely. Yep. So you had even between cities that were really close to each other. 
in the US, you had a distinct Chicago sound and a distinct Detroit sound um, because people weren't necessarily traveling between those two locations and yeah. different clubs and producers in those towns were um, just kind of running with whatever they thought was cool for them and their friends. And then yeah. as those 12 inches started getting released internationally and finding their ways into little record stores in Sydney or Manchester or Paris or wherever, um, then that kind of fed into those scenes. But each scene around the world was distinctly different. So the whole Sydney dance party scene in the mid to late 80s was super gay um, and quite high energy and not really underground as such. It was like a pretty mainstream thing where every Saturday night, 10,000 people would go to the Horton Pavilion and <laughs> party till dawn. And, yep. and that was the, the Sydney scene until the, um, the Brits started arriving in the late 80s and early 90s. Care of Maggie Thatcher. Ah. Um, and brought the whole kind of acid house thing to Sydney. If you thought it was drugs, now you know you're wrong. You hear it in future zoom and spectrum. And we call it acid. going back to your future acid tracks um obviously that landed as you said in in manchester and uh um then you got things like voodoo ray from a guy called gerald which i don't know it's probably what th three oh, years later three years later, 88 i think yeah voodoo yeah. ray was yeah yeah exactly um but the big influence for the uk was um ibiza so you had all these young DJs going to Ibiza in the mid eighties and <laughs> discovering ecstasy and kind of the balearic sound of people just playing kind of cool records all mixed up together. DJ Alfredo and people like that yeah. at Amnesia um, and Paul Oakenfold and his consort kind of hearing that sound and probably mm -hmm. hearing Chicago house coming through that direction as opposed to discovering it through American channels yep. and then bringing that back to the UK in kind of 87, 88, and then that kind of sparking the whole acid house thing. So one, once you had house music and ecstasy combined, acid. <laughs> um, <laughs> then it was game over. <laughs> as, as someone famously said, whoever put house music and ecstasy together, I want to shake that person's hand. <laughs> LSD was also massive around that time and even though acid music did not refer specifically to LSD when it was created it got co-opted by that um, very quickly once it hit the UK right at the time sure there was kind of the gay scene and they were probably dabbling in ecstasy and speed and cocaine and, and whatever. Um, but I think the scene that DJ Pierre came from, which was kind of straight urban black kids, 
um, was more of a, a kind of pot scene, like smoking right. weed and okay. hanging out, smoking weed, hanging out in your basement and playing with electronic music. Um, and for their music to then kind of be adopted by people taking very, very different drugs was quite interesting. Um, yeah, right. Uh, you also have to take into account that a lot of those people were very religious, so they were off to church on Sunday mornings <laughs> with their families. <laughs> um, in, in all, in all seriousness, like um, yeah. there's this kind of very strong roots of um, well, you've obviously got gospel music and house music, but that was pretty pervasive across that culture. Is that um, you'd go out, you'd have a dance, you might smoke a couple of joints but then you'd be at church on Sunday morning with your family. That's a classic. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't work if you've been up all night on the, uh, <laughs> on the, on the pingers. Uh, uh, <clears throat> do you think there's some sort of socioeconomic factors as well, where, where especially it seems with the rave culture, where you needed to have these unused warehouses um, to have events like that, like where it's a in other times or probably now where, where real estate is at a premium, you're not going to have these just empty spaces lying around. And so you've got these socioeconomic factors that, that bring up scenes in different places. Yeah. I just find that fascinating. Um, yeah. I mean, well, in the yeah. UK, the UK is the best example because you did have a big sound system culture already. Um, so you had uh, the, the reggae sound systems, um, that would kind of travel around from um, borough to borough and they'd, they'd put their parties on. Um, so they'll set up for it already, sort of. Yeah, like <clears throat> you had that that whole culture existed of people kind of trying to outdo each other with their, their sound systems. And <laughs> once um, the younger, primarily black kids, started getting into house and breakbeat and rave then those sound systems were quickly kind of transformed into rave sound systems so but even i mean like, e even in even in sydney which you know is not really a socioeconomically downtrodden place um you know i went to raves in the late 80s um in humongous uh waterfront warehouses which are now uh, luxury um apartments luxury, <laughs> luxury apartments exactly yeah so. and i mean all through um from kind of alexandria down to the airport there was a lot mm. of empty spaces i mean there, there was a um recession at the time yeah exactly we're, we're exactly. probably a bit oblivious to it being young but um yeah post 87 crash there was a, a big recession and you, you did have a lot of empty um, space uh, but I think the other big factor is uh, traditional venues had no idea what to do with this music yeah, and exactly. so yeah, right. if you went to a, an RSL club and said hey we want to do an all night <laughs> rave <laughs> we're going to play this music that just goes That's so good. <laughs> the answer was usually no Mate, um, it's 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 just like it's just like Mark Richards not having any idea of what to do with a three fin surfboard, <laughs> isn't it? He, he goes, "What am um, I going to do? What am I going to fucking do with this?" Yeah, and and so I think the path around the world was you definitely had this kind of underground scene uh, that was 
for all intents and purposes, their hearts were in the right place. It was all about kind of sharing the music with the populace and um, everybody. Um, what, what was the primal scream sample? We want to be free. We want to have a mm -hmm. good time. We want to get loaded. Yeah. <laughs> Just what is it that you want to do? Well, we want to be free. We want to be free to, to do what we want to do. And we want to get loaded. And we want to have a good time. And that's what we're going to do. Away, well, baby, let's go. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a party. And so there was that ethos, but then as soon as the drug dealers got involved, um, then things yeah. started going dark pretty quickly. So it went from oh, people kind of doing DIY uh, events for all the right intentions, and then the drug dealers got in on the market and um, yeah. uh, made things pretty dark. And then, they start, and, and, then, and then they started selling, selling Acid House T-shirts at Kmart. Exactly. <laughs> and we try to do this music definitely with the wrong instruments and it never sounds that good like our idols, you know. Till of course my friend Boga found out about the legendary Ronan machines like the 303 and the 909. And the first time we touched machines like this, it was really like getting contact with God. <laughs> DJ Omen, uh, I've got a question for you. What is the relevance of the 303 and for that matter the 808 in the current paradigm of uh dance music uh well it's the foundation so all of that equipment kind of set the tone for the, the genre and is still the kind of core sound yep. um and I, I was thinking about how we can tie this back to surfing the the most interesting thing that's happened in the last few years is if you're a surfer and listen to dance music 20 30 years ago then <laughs> you were a complete oddity um but now uh all of this music is completely mainstream in terms of people listening to it um so my kids and um yeah people in their 20s and and whatever it's it is the normal thing that you do to go out and have a good time uh, and one of the biggest DJs in the world at the moment and for the last few years is a former pro surfer, Paul Fisher, Fisher. which is absolutely bizarre. You're a superstar in the dance world. Oh, yeah. I don't know about that. I'm not yet. I'm just uh, pushing the buttons and going back and let... Oh. And he's also got a very colourful language, which I did mention to him beforehand. But firstly, Dallas Fisher, you had a quite a, an interesting, uniquely Australian story about getting to the Grammys. Yeah, we didn't almost make it here, mate. We had to get a couple of roos off the old uh, runway to get here, and then uh, I forgot my passport. So um, we had to go back, grab that thing, get back on the old runway, and uh, here we are. Who are you most looking forward to mixing here tonight with, particularly at the after party, because I imagine that you're going to have a pretty good time? Cardi B all day long. I mean, Keith Urban's up for an award, the old country bad boy, so I might uh, say good day to him too, see if old Nicole's around too, and uh, have a bit with them guys, you know. But um, no, I'm just stoked to mingle with everyone and uh, get amongst it. Mate, you're definitely the most Australian thing here this evening. I can't wait to see what they make of Fisher. Paul Fisher, real name, but only your mum calls you that. Hey, Australia, there's a rumour going around that we love it. Yeah! <laughs>
To be honest, he plays pretty good music. Like he doesn't play complete cheese ball shite, which no, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, and he's kind of exposed a whole new generation to pretty good tech house that, uh, at its core, has a lot of use of eight oh eight and three oh three baselines and well and uh, i've seen a video of i've seen a video of flume surfing smelly skaters <laughs> wave ranch yeah yeah wow. he's well, he's a northern northern beaches kid yep yep yeah wow there is a fantastic and i don't know exactly how long ago this was made but tame impala came out with a song called breathe deeper um in the last few years and that's a kind of homage to a number of different um, artists, but that's um, pulsating with 303 uh, bass lines. Um, and then there's another fantastic one, which is a little bit older perhaps, which is, I don't know, it's, I don't know, it's probably in the last, last five years, Jamie XX, Gosh, um, which is also kind of, a, a, again, that's, that's more of an 808 homage, but, um, you know, I do think that uh, obviously that there has been a kind of, in, in my mind, a, a, a democratization, but also a blandization in some some regards. But of course, there we can always find obvious uh, stellar exceptions to the to the rule, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think it's also worth mentioning that the, the people who kind of really started all of this, so people like DJ Pierre and others from Chicago um, like I mentioned before they had no idea that it had kind of gone ballistic in the UK and um, even to this day a lot of those American producers the only real money that they make is by touring to, to Europe and, and elsewhere in the world and they're, they're still vastly under underappreciated in their own country. Now, D yeah. DJ Omen, DJ Omen, and uh, Dazza B. Um, not only uh, um, is my brain running out of time, but the uh, the powers that be on this program are running out of time. Um, so before we before we sign off, um, DJ Omen, um, quick question: What was the last uh, surfing craft that you rode? Oh, um, probably a Christensen, because there's a couple of them. Uh, I've actually been stranded in the mountains for quite a long time now, so it's been a good couple of months since I had a surf. Uh, but most likely a Christensen fish. Five, what are the five, five eight? Very nice. Mm. So, wow. So your last your last craft has been a, a pair of Rosignals. Uh, he's, uh, he's a snowboarder, isn't he? No, no, I'm a. I'm a reformed snowboarder, so. Oh Jesus! I'm on a pair of head, one hundred and five. Um, yeah, one hundred and eighty long. Nice. There you mm. go. Not and, that um, that means anything to this audience. <laughs> and when, when was the last time you were dancing to Acid House with a head full of um, goodness? Uh, oh, I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Well, there was someone who looked looked uh, crazily like Bez on uh, in my house the other day, dancing up a storm. I know. Some people uh, just go into to, to full method acting character mode. Yeah, shaking the maracas all night long. It was great. Oh, wow. You can't go wrong with that. It's got to be a loose fit. Absolutely. Yep. All right, boys, we're going to have to sign off. Um, I'm going to go to uh, bed and uh, the um, the powers that be in Silicon Valley are going to cut this service in uh, in the next couple of minutes. Bastards. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks, thanks, DJ Omen, for coming on. You wow. mate, we'll have to we'll have to have to get you back on uh, Omen because that was a very that was far more erudite than um, than we can usually summon in in, um, in, in our, our next episode, episode. We talk about new beat and German techno. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Nice. All right. Let's, uh, let's get out of here. All right, brothers. Um, see you later. Yo. Cheers.